The Forum at 8 on SAFM. And uh, it brings the time now to six minutes past eight. Just a reminder that we are broadcasting live from Sant- or rather from Santon, the Hilton Hotel at uh, says 8th Symposium, looking at uh, coalition parties and strengthening democracy and improving power sharing in, Af- in Africa. In fact, that's the discussion that we're going to have on the forum this morning. We're asking that question, do parties, coalition parties uh, strengthen democracy and improve power sharing in Africa? And uh, we are in conversation with... Uh, uh, Professor Tom Lodge, Dean of the Faculty of Arts, Humanities and Social Sciences, as I did mention uh, earlier on that uh, we are going to be speaking to Kenya's former Prime Minister, Raila Odinga. He will be with us shortly, but uh, Idayat Hassan is a team leader for the democratic governance at the Democratic and Development in the Western Africa Organization. A very good morning to you both, and thank you very much for taking the time to join us. It's good to be here. Good to be here. Let me start with you, Professor Lodge. Earlier on when we were speaking to ASA's uh, Executive Director, Danika Dima, he was saying one of the main reasons driving the need to hold this discussion is because of uh, coalition parties in Africa and how very little work has been done in terms of understanding them. I know there was a roundtable that was held in 2003 trying to look at that. I think that was largely in southern Africa. But why are they not well understood? Is it because it's a new phenomenon in Africa? They're fairly new. Um, Since the 90s, there have been, I think, approximately 15 or so uh, administrations in which there have been more than one party uh, functioning. Um, but they're, not, they're still, they're a formation that we don't understand very well, and it's difficult to make generalizations about them. And it, we're still uncertain about their effects in, in the long term, whether or whether or not they strengthen institutions, whether or whether or not they strengthen parties, whether or whether or not they please voters, whether or whether or not they govern well. Mm. So when we talk about... Political party coalitions, what is the definition thereof? I think because obviously we'd all have our views of what they are. Are we talking about a working relationship between politicians? Is it um, automatic that they would share the same ideologies, that the goals that they have when coming into such partnerships is the same? They vary enormously. Um, You have pre-election coalitions where, where parties agree to collaborate in, for example, campaigning. And they can take different forms. Um, In a first-past-the-post system where you have single-member constituencies, for example, uh, two parties may agree that they won't compete against each other in particular Mm. constituencies. And then the deal might be that if they garner enough votes and enough seats between them to form a government, that they'll then share out uh, cabinet positions and allocate uh, the prime minister's position according to some kind of agreed arrangement. Uh, That's one kind of coalition. You then get the coalitions that are formed after elections, and they may be the consequence of pre-electoral collaboration, or they may be simply a consequence of having a hung parliament. We have a situation after an election where no party has won a majority, where no party can summon enough votes in parliament to get their laws passed or their policies approved of by parliament, and therefore they have to find a partner. And how they choose partners, well, there may be all kinds of considerations. Obviously, parties would probably prefer uh, to work with people that share more or less the same beliefs, where there's a degree of, if you like, policy convergence. 
But that may not always be possible, and you sometimes you get parties that are sharp adversaries, uh, that oppose each other, that have very different beliefs and conflicts, being forced or compelled or, or feeling the need to come together to form a government. And sometimes this is imposed upon them from outside, as in the governments of national unity, for example, that existed in both Kenya uh, and Zimbabwe over the last decade. How important is it that they're born out of necessity or out of... Uh, a willingness to enhance, as I say, uh, dem democratic principles and systems. It is important. Willing coalitions, the kinds of coalitions that get formed over a long period, starting before the election, probably are going to govern better because they'll find it easier to agree on policies. Um, parties that are thrust together and they don't have much choice uh, may nevertheless work together well because they see that there's no choice that they have to get on or they may actually have a fairly antagonistic and grumbling kind of relationship with each other once in power. As was the case, for example, in South Africa, when the National Party and the ANC uh, formed a transitional government of national unity. Basically, the ANC determined the policies and the National Party sulked and eventually left the government halfway through. Let's come to you, Mr. Sang, just in terms of Nigeria's experience first, and we'll, we'll look at West, the greater West Africa region. But uh, Nigeria having what one would uh, describe as a checkered past in terms of uh, uh, democracy, especially the inclusion uh, and a multi-party system. Is this something that is also new to Nigeria? How is it working out? Um, coalitions are not actually new to Nigeria because basically from our historical democratic uh, experience we've actually had what the professor has described as a post-election coalition in the First Republic and presently since the return to democracy in 1999 we are having what we call the pre-elections coalitions and actually for us the experience has not all that been successful because it's more or less a marriage of strange fellows coming together. And its ability to consolidate democracy is actually mm. in question, particularly from the angle of the people. But now, on the issue and the necessity for it has become very obvious, and that is why we have what is now the major party. Now from coalition, we are moving to a major, where we have one of the biggest, the four biggest opposition parties in Nigeria mm. coming together to form the all-progressive Congress, the APC. Which is what I was going to say, that there tends to be thinking that they're, they're more limited towards, or the trend is more towards opposition party coalitions and alliances, and the fact that you have the term alliances and coalitions being used interchangeably. Yeah. And, and that is one of the challenge for us because this is actually a field that is very, very understudied. Previously, we've had coalitions in 1999. In 2003, how come that to be an alliance when they said that the former president, Olusegun Obasanjo, actually had an alliance with the Haiti governors in the southwestern of the state to get re-elected. That was an alliance, actually. But in the real sense of the world, it was not studied because we just have it as there was an alliance and the after effect of it is that all these governors, with the exception of one of them, lost their own seats. So, in your assessment, have they been a success or not? And I know it's somewhat still early to ask that question. 
um, looking at the last 14 years and the attempts to have coalitions, pre-elections coalition, it has not been successful at all. Because the 2011 elections, we thought that would have been the most successful of all coalitions, as in political party coalitions, to get into office. But even three, four days to the elections, we were not sure what was actually happening. And at our own end, it's more or less has been at the presidential level. The experience has been at the presidential level. We've actually had one, and I think this is actually a very good example at the gubernatorial level, which was in Edo State. It was the Labour Party and the Alliance, um, the Action Congress of Nigeria coming together to have an alliance. But you will not believe that while they went into election as an alliance, after winning office, actually getting it through a judicial pronouncement, nothing was ever heard mm. of the Labour Party. Whose candidate had that alliance to go together with the ACN? It became an ACN government. And that is one of the challenges of the fact that alliances and coalitions have been understudied mm. in Africa. So then let's juxtapose that against the international practice, uh, Professor Lodge. What is it? And uh, is there something to learn from what happens internationally? Because the assumption really has been that it's, it, it, it has been longer experienced uh, in the Western world and that, uh, I don't know, when, when judging democratic principles and standards, there seems to be different, bar different barometers also applied. Look, uh, alliances are, are very common in European politics. Uh, indeed, there are certain European countries that have been governed almost constantly by alliances, and there the practice over decades has settled down, and it's well understood. Uh, and in Europe, it's often the case that alliances are conducted on the basis of memorandums and agreements, uh, and there are sort of protocols that, uh, I that relate to the way that parties interact with each other. Generally speaking, um, these have worked quite well, but people do have concerns. Um, let me give you an example. Um, Israel has been governed for a long time by alliances, but there you have a kind of phenomenon where the tail of the dog, as it were, wags the body. Mm. Um, small parties whose presence in the government is absolutely essential for the larger party, if the larger party is going to go on governing may have a particular single-issue kind of agenda, which is a basic requirement for them to be met if they're going to participate in government. But it may be an issue which actually represents quite an extremist point of view that doesn't represent general sentiment. And so what you might have is, as a condition of an alliance functioning in government, the government being compelled to adopt policies that don't meet the approval of the majority of voters. Um, so, for example, in Israel... You, you, you have um, the, the government often adopting kind of religious prescriptions, which most Israelis actually don't particularly appreciate or approve of. Um, you, you get the same thing in a lot of other countries. Where that doesn't happen, it's often the case where, where the larger party in government gets their way. Conversely, the smaller party that is rewarded for their participation in government with cabinet positions and so forth may nevertheless be compelled, as it were, to support policies that their own supporters don't like. And that happens quite frequently. It's happening, for example, at the moment 
in Britain with the Liberal Democrats in coalition with the Conservative Party. And what's happening there is that uh, support for the Liberal Democrats has been shrinking. Uh, and it's quite likely that in the next election they're going to emerge as a much smaller party than they did before. And in general, the experience of coalitions is that junior partners do very badly out of them. Mm. and that coalitions tend to weaken the smaller parties that are partners in coalitions. Mm. Uh, uh, Ms. Hassan, then that leads me to my next question, just in terms of um, power sharing and, and enhancing that just within the context of the existence of political parties uh, associated with each other or being in a coalition. Is it purely limited to, for instance, presidential regimes? And is it, does it also limit access to power outside of the state for, as Professor Lodge was talking about, the smaller parties, the, the underdogs, so to speak? Yes, I think the Nigerian experience is that it has actually limited access to power, especially for the uh, smaller party. It has been an instrument of weakening them, actually, and it has led to a proliferation of also political parties. Because in our own experience, what you have is like everybody comes together from a party. Once they lose uh, a, the opportunity of getting a ticket in the bigger party, and at the end of the day, they come together, they coalesce. And when you look at the voting party, and at the end of the day, you find that they do not even manage to garner 30% of the total vote, actually making the opposition stronger. And I think it's also, as in the ruling party anyway, mm. who is the opposition in this uh, contest stronger. And actually, it is another mechanism, when you look at it closely, by the ruling party to even actually weaken the opposition in, in another respect. And I think the challenge for us is also the party system that is obtainable. When you have a fragmented party system, a party system that is that lacks internal democracy, party discipline, even ideology, then it becomes very difficult to coalesce. The only thing that brings these people together while they are coalescing for us is the office-seeking motive. Okay. And that brings us to, I'm sure, what would be very interesting for a lot of our listeners, the South African experience. We'll chat about that in just a moment. But we are taking calls on 0891-104-208, And uh, we're asking this question, do coalition parties strengthen democracy and improve power sharing in Africa? We did mention earlier on that we will be joined by Kenya's former Prime Minister, Raila Odinga. We are told that uh, he will join us uh, right after the 8.30 news headlines. Um, he's still getting ready, we believe, but uh, you can get ready to call us on this number, 891 That's the SMS hotline at 2 rand per SMS, and you can engage our guests on this question. We're going to take a quick break. The Internet is changing lives in Africa. How has the Internet impacted your life? Share your story by the end of October and you could receive $25,000 in funding. I taught myself animation using Google and YouTube. I took my work and I put it on my website. Everybody liked it. I became popular. <laughs> Visit www.africaconnected.com for more details. Africa Connected. Success stories powered by the web. 
an initiative by Google. The city of Johannesburg is committed to improving the quality of life of its residents through various initiatives, including investment in infrastructure. One such project is the resurfacing of the city's priority roads throughout the seven regions. This multi-year project, which costs an estimated 1 billion rand, will facilitate mobility, safety and enhanced economic activities within the city. Joburg, improving quality of life through infrastructure development. Joburg, a world-class African city. Small parts make a big impact. Take the cogs of a machine. Unimpressive, yet each adds to the efficiency of the whole. Without them, things fall apart. A true leader sees every part of their business as important. Our executive education programs teach you how to fully harness them so your company runs as a well-oiled engine, driving you and your people into the future. Visit unisa.ac.za forward slash SPL. The UNISA Graduate School of Business Leadership. Building leaders who go beyond. The Forum at 8 on SAFM. And we are taking your calls on 0891 in conversation with Professor Tom Lodge, Professor of Politics at the University of Limerick in Ireland and Idayat Hassan is a team leader for democratic governance at the Democratic and Development Institute in, the West, in Western Africa. And uh, we are talking to you about whether or not coalition parties strengthen democracy and improve power sharing in Africa. So perhaps I should then come to you, Professor, Lodge and ask you about the South African experience. South Africa heading towards elections next year and uh, we have seen a reconfiguring of the landscape in South Africa and uh, the emergence of new players on this political landscape and I'm sure there are a lot of listeners out there who are wondering uh, if what we're seeing is a strengthening of democracy and greater access to power sharing or weakening of it. I, I think in South Africa um well, coalitions in South Africa don't really exist in the, in the sense that we normally understand the term. I mean, the ANC likes to call itself an alliance, but uh, as far as we're concerned, uh, an alliance means uh, uh, a, 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 a group of parties that work together, uh, a group of parliamentary parties that work together, or a group of election building parties that work together. Um, we don't have such things in South Africa at present. What, what, what we do have in South Africa, though, and it's, it's partly an effect of the particular electoral system, is, is a tendency for political parties to proliferate um, and then contract. Um, but generally speaking, I think uh, it's not a terribly good thing if uh, you have too many small parties confronting one large party. Uh, an effective opposition is an opposition that's coordinated, uh, that's relatively unified. And so I think many people in South Africa would like to see the smaller parties working more closely together, perhaps in the shape of an alliance or some kind of coalition. All right. Uh, we're joined now in the studio by uh, Kenya's former Prime Minister, Mr. Raila Odinga. Very good morning to you, sir, and thank you very much for taking the time to join us. Very yeah, good morning. Perhaps you'd like to share your experiences uh, just in terms of the subject that we're discussing. We're talking about coalition uh, parties, and uh, specifically we're looking at uh, greater access to democracy or enhancement of power sharing and you are part of a coalition uh, 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 first in Kenya really just in terms of the political landscape there. Well um, as you know that the development in Kenya uh, is not really unique um, it followed the pattern that we saw in Eastern Europe 
after the collapse of uh, the Berlin Wall, uh, when the, the Soviet uh, Empire collapsed, uh, there was a, a proliferation of political parties emerging in those new c countries um, that uh, there were sometimes over 50, sometimes hundreds of political parties. Um, I, I give the example that one time in Poland, a ballot paper was uh, a booklet so that it took you a long time to find the party you wanted to vote for. But thereafter, after the first elections, political parties began to coalesce, uh, to unite, so that eventually you ended up with the other two-party or three-party uh, systems. In Kenya, we have had almost a similar experience in that um, uh, we first had uh, so many political parties coming up, and this gave the the uh, way to the then ruling party um, to win elections because the parties were splitting uh, votes uh, among themselves. Mm. Um, uh, but over the years, we have seen well, uh, coalition building emerging from the 19, uh, 2002 elections when we came up with what we call the National Rainbow Coalition (NAC). Uh, that is the party that um, managed to create sufficient momentum to dislodge the ruling party from power after 40 years. Uh, and since that time, we have had collisions uh, since then. But uh, do you think that, it, just specifically with regards to the Kenyan experience, was it a success? Do you think you were better able to serve the Kenyan people? Certainly, yes. Uh, able to serve the Kenyan people better because... Um, the party in power um, has a, a strong opposition that is able to keep it in check um, as a watchdog. Uh, if you have got so many um, fragmented uh, political parties in the opposition, they are not effective because there is no coordination. Uh, they cannot also even challenge the ruling party in parliament uh, when it comes to major issues that require uh, decision by vote. Mm. So, um, uh, bigger p p collisions uh, are a more effective way of, uh, of marshalling support. But Mr. Dinga, one would challenge you and say, from an observer's perspective, you seem to have major ideological differences. Yeah, there are uh, ideological differences. You can say that... Um, in, in Kenya, um, you have basically two uh, different uh, uh, schools of thought, or ideologically. Um, that is the one uh, which is the conservative group that uh, basically wanted uh, um, perpetuation of a privileged uh, class or system that was created by the colonialists, and which has remained there for all these years. And then there are those who uh, talk about redistribution of wealth, uh, which want a larger participation of the Kenyan people in uh, their economy. So, um, uh, you can say that the, the struggle has been between these two forces pulling into mm. uh, diametrically opposed directions. Uh, the the, the pro-reform uh, group and the status quo, that is those who want to perpetuate the system that, uh, as it is uh, today.
Okay, we're going to be taking calls right after this. We're going to update your news headlines now with Fabakshini Chetty. And, of course, continue with this conversation. We're asking this question, do coalition parties strengthen democracy and improve power sharing in Africa? And, of course, we'll be looking at it in more detail in conversation with uh, Mr. Ray Lodinger, former Prime Minister of Kenya, Professor Tom Lodge. He's a professor of politics at the University of Limerick in Ireland, and Idayat Hassan is a team leader for democratic governance at the Democratic and Development Institute in Western Africa. Coming to you live from Santon here at ACES 8th Symposium looking at understanding the causes and consequences of political party alliances and coalitions in Africa. 8.30 now, your news headlines with Fabakshni Chetty, followed by Rob Byrne with details on the traffic. Thanks, Rob. Uh, 27 minutes to nine. Now, let's find out what uh, to expect from Morning Talk with Rowena Bird uh, now. That's between nine and 12 midday. Good morning, Rowena. Things may, may short left. <laughs> Coming up on Morning Talk today, in the first hour we go to Zimbabwe and we talk to a farmer and a human rights activist in that country who's called for Morgan Sangurai to step down as leader of the opposition MDC, saying that he really has done nothing to effect change in the four years that he's been Prime Minister. We also talk about the issue of diversity in business and how we should harness um, our differences to contribute positively to the goals of uh, the companies that we we work for. On Justice Link, we explore what the Guardian's fund is, is all about and who can access it. And we'll end the show on a light note and perhaps even a funny note when we talk to comedian Eugene Causa about his upcoming one-man show. That's what's coming up between 9 and 12. The Forum at 8 on SAFM. Thanks a lot, Ruena. And uh, let's continue with our conversation. Do coalition parties strengthen democracy and improve power sharing in Africa? In conversation with uh, Mr. Raila Odinga, former Prime Minister of Kenya, Professor Tom Lodge, Professor of Politics at the University of Limerick in Ireland, and Idayat Hassan is team leader for democratic governance at the Democratic at the Democratic and Development Institute in Western Africa. Give us uh, uh, your thoughts on this. You can give us a call on 0891-104-208, And uh, uh, just to come back to you, Mr. Sun, on some of the issues that we've been talking about, I- I'm just wondering, though, just how much does it benefit not only electoral systems, in, in Africa, you can also talk about the, the West African regions, but, but the voters themselves, do voters know what they're getting into in, in, in choosing coalitions or alliances that, um, say, fight together for a particular vote at the polls? Because we, we already spoke about some of the inherent difficulties do voters ultimately get a better deal? And I say this on the back of what Mr. Odinga was saying, that they, they were better able to serve the people of, of Kenya. Oh, first and foremost, I think it's actually a challenge for the voters because, one, what the former Prime Minister, Prime Minister has described is not what is obtainable in our own climate. You have, he has said, you have this agenda, uh, redistribution as an agenda, or the conservative. It is not the same. For us, what we have is a signal. There are no ideology-based uh, parties. So basically what you are saying is maybe the symbol of the party, umbrella, or the broom. 
That is what you know basically about this party. And especially when they coalesce, what it does for the people is that it creates confusion in them. And their analysis is that what is the essence of having strange bedfellows. So they will actually prefer to vote in terms of to vote in terms of individuals. Okay. Um, I'm going to take calls. Professor Logis, I, I, I know I actually was going to come to you, but I just want to repeat the phone line number so that the listeners can know it's calling 891 We're coming to you in just a moment. Yes, Professor Logis. You know, it's complicated what voters actually think. You might have a setting in which there's been a huge amount of conflict in which two parties have been at war with each other, literally, uh, in terms of a kind of violent sort of competition. Voters in that kind of setting might actually welcome a pre-election coalition, uh, because they might feel, they might believe that the chances of conflict, the chances of violence during the election might be reduced. So it, it does depend on the circumstances, it does depend on the context. And you were saying that parliamentary systems outweigh in terms of the advantage, presidential systems? Well, in a presidential system where, where, where executive power is in the hands of a separately elected president, um, there what generally happens is that coalitions may agree to support a single president who may belong to one party or another uh, between, say, two partners. The problem with that is that when the president gets into power, he's under no real legal, as it were, obligation. And there aren't many sanctions if he doesn't honor, as it were, the terms of the agreement, so that he may get into power and then decide, or she might then decide, not to include representatives of the partner party uh, in a a government. Now, in parliamentary systems where parties in parliament, as it were, uh, combine to nominate and form a government, um, it's much less easy, if you like, for the terms of the coalition to be dishonoured. And so what we tend to have is uh, post-election coalitions working much better in parliamentary systems than in presidential systems. 891 very good morning to you. Good morning, Tabiso, and, and, and to your guests. Uh, look, I, first of all, let me correct uh, one of your, your guests there who said the ANC has been saying it's an alliance. That's incorrect. The ANC is in alliance with SACP, COSATU, and SANCO. On its own, the ANC is not an alliance. I think you should get that effect uh, uh, correct. Secondly, you see, to come to your question, it has been niggling to, to see how many African countries we had to be forced to work together in terms of political parties after the collapse of electoral systems and demise of democracy. Because once you take away uh, people's uh, 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 rights to decide, you collapse democracy and you, you, you take away their rights. I think what, what we should focus on is that people must campaign on their own and they must tell the people what are their plans. They must tell the electorate. Because if you look at uh, what is happening, for instance, in UK, there is there is there is nothing that uh, uh, the, the this guy, the prime minister, can do without begging the the, the 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 coalition partner. At the end of the day, it is the voters that decide. And let's not take decisions in boardrooms on behalf of the voters, because that's what happened in the UK. And who is suffering? The public.
All right, thanks a lot, Mfuso Ekaya in Bisha. I've got an SMS here from Tlovu Ezaikeni saying that I don't think so because some of them have the different views. Example, you can't expect EFF and NC working together. And uh, another SMS from Kosima Katuga saying coalitions in Africa cannot work because majority of ruling parties in Africa are still accounting to former colonizers. Africa needs a clear vision because today's imperialists are very smart. Well, let me come back to you, Mr. Uh, Odinga. One of the things in Vusokai was raising with the collapse of uh, electoral systems. And, and just to trace back uh, to Kenya, how Kenya came to be where it is now from, which is, as I mentioned at the beginning of the story, that is a view of largely the African story, a single party system. Well, as you know, uh, if you take the journey down the memory lane, uh, the argument at that time was that uh, multipartism was alien to traditional African society, that the traditional society had made provisions for uh, conflict resolution through dialogue, uh, and that uh, the kind of Westminster uh, system or adversarial system uh, of, uh, of resolving differences was not African. Um, this was the, the argument by the founding fathers of the African uh, continent. And that is how the multi-party system was then led into extinction at that time. And we ended up with single-party uh, dictatorships all over. Because with the, the death of the opposition, um, the, the checks and balances went away. So we saw the emergence of... Uh, um, uh, uh, corruption, tribalism, nepotism um, in the management of public affairs. And this is also really responsible for uh, lack of development on the continent. So uh, Africans had to fight very hard to bring back uh, um, what we now call the, the multi-party system. The second liberation was basically to try to fight against either the single party dictatorship or military dictatorship, this took over from the, the, the single party system because of the, their inefficiency. So we are now here where we are as a result of a, a very lengthy struggle by the African people mm. to introduce multipartism. Has an increased participation though, I, I, I'm thinking just, just also in terms of gender. Mm-hmm. Yes, um, and I think that um, the multipartism has come back and there's been, of course, a, a lot of uh, struggle uh, to emancipate the African women and uh, give them a, a bigger share in the, uh, the decision-making processes. So you'll find that in a number of African countries now, women participation is, is uh, in, on, the, on the rise. Uh, the Kenyan constitution, for example, uh, provides that um, a minimum at least of one-third of either gender uh, must be present in, in any decision-making uh, process, uh, whether in Parliament or in the County uh, Assembly or um, even in terms of employment. Um, uh, that is, uh, was not there before. So like right now you find that uh, there's provision for nomination of women if uh, they, you don't reach that threshold through the electoral process, that women are then nominated in order to, to make up the one-third 
a requirement. Mm. So um, I think this is a very positive development uh, in, in our country. Mr. Stein, just uh, in terms of the West African experience, uh, and I think also to get you to comment about the African experience in general, because the quota system has been something that has been much touted in terms of improving participation of women, especially in, 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 in politics, in, in the electoral um, system, etc. But I wonder if that has been the ultimate result because it is a quota system at the end of the day and is a participation by name because we still only have two female presidents on the African continent. Exactly. Uh, actually, I'll go back to the Kenyan experience at, because I was in Kenya some months back and speaking to the Best Practices Conference and we had parliamentarians from Kenya who came and they got into the parliament based on this um, affirmative action system. And their complaint was that they were just in parliament but they were not participating. In fact, we had the people with disability there, and they were saying the same thing. So what is the essence? And they looked up to us and asked that, okay, now we have this quota system, but is it working for us in the real sense of the word? So the participation is actually missing. It's another different thing for you to allocate quota when in the, actual, in the real fact these people are actually so, subjugated. They are just there in numbers. And you know Kenyan is a very good experience. Rwandan is a good experience. And we have still seen the same thing. Maybe in Senegal it has been a bit positive because you can hardly do anything in Senegal without the involvement of the female parliamentarians who have actually organized themselves into a group. But you look at Nigeria, we do not have affirmative action. We have less than 7% of women in parliament and we have, of course, the 30% in the the executive. That is appointive positions. So in terms of deepening this participation, deepening democracy, it is not working. And that is why for us we are asking for the voluntary quota by the political parties themselves. Mm -hmm. And it is not just having this voluntary quota, it is also having the women act participate, being able to participate because they come up with lots of reasons for it. Some say that maybe the women themselves are the problems. We give them the affirmative action to go, but they do not know how to participate. And the women tell us that this is actually not the truth. I take Nigerian as an example. You are here in a meeting, you are in a political party's meeting, and they tell you the meeting is for 12 a.m. 12 a.m. You wait till 12 a.m. Don't be surprised that once you leave at 1.30 or 2 a.m., then the meeting starts. How do you effectively participate or contribute to deepening democracy? Mm. Professor Lodge, your comment. Just also on, on the international scene, because um, what we've seen in terms of the trend is the, the countries that Mr. Sam mentioned, I know South Africa is also high up there in it, but in terms of the issues brought up in campaigning and what is then eventually taken up when parties are in governance. There seems to be a huge chasm between that. Well, let me say just something briefly about women and coalitions. When you have pre-election coalitions, in in other words, when parties agree to collaborate with each other during the campaign and perhaps not stand in each other's constituencies and so on, that kind of arrangement tends to work against women's representation because there are fewer places, as it were, fewer candidatures that parties are contesting, and therefore the women tend to get squeezed out. So generally it's believed by analysts on a comparative basis that unless you have quotas, uh, coalition formation doesn't really help women participation. 
but more generally, if we think about the way that coalitions actually function once they're in power, um, as the person that was phoning in just now suggested, uh, there's often a gulf between what they do and what voters expect. And that's an inevitable consequence of them having to compromise and work together. But I think voters aren't stupid. I think that they recognize that, and they may still nevertheless favor their particular party joining the government, knowing at the same time that there are going to have to be compromises along the way. And many parties, when they get into government, will actually explain to their supporters the dynamics of negotiation and compromise. That's been very much happening, for example, at the recent Liberal Party conference in Britain, where um, basically party leaders like Nick Clegg are telling their voters, uh, telling their supporters, look, we know you don't like it, we don't like it terribly either, but this is what we've got to do, and we'd rather be in than out. Mm. And that's, I think, a kind of rationale that um, citizens, voters, supporters of parties can understand. And, and that's another thing I wanted to look at, Mr. Dinger, just to come back to you moving forward for Kenya. Given the situation that we have now, um, we in fact had an hour's discussion about what were the factors that may have led to um, the attacks on Kenya. And, and, and some of the analysis that came out is the marginalization of certain ethnic groupings, which has been a major feature of Kenyan politics for the longest of times, it's just also in terms of power sharing and access to democracy. And uh, the negotiation process into going into some of these coalitions or partnerships has been noted as problematic. Well, uh, yes, um, um, the, it is true that uh, there has been marginalization of, of certain ethnic groups. You see, um, coalition building is between political parties. But what we have seen in the past is that some political parties have uh, been so much ethnic-based. And uh, in a situation where politics is, is, is ethnicized, you find uh, uh, coalitions based on ethnicity. In other words, people are looking for numbers. And um, you, so you find people saying, if we take this community and this community and this community, we have sufficient numbers to clinch the political power. Uh, in that case, for example, somebody coming from a smaller community has little value. So he's not even invited uh, to the negotiation table because um, he's of less value in terms of, of numbers. And this is what we actually have been talking against, that uh, this basically polarizes the relationship within society. Uh, it is a game of exclusion rather than inclusion. And the politics should be a game of inclusion and that it should be more ideologically based rather than uh, ethnic-based. Uh, um, we have been saying that uh, the relationship between political parties should first look at the ideological coherence among the, 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 the parties to, to the, the coalition. Um, but Africa has suffered from ethnicity for a long time. I will keep on saying that ethnicity is a, a disease of the elite. The elite in the competition for resources within the country and the ones who invoke ethnicity as a basis for mm. fighting for those resources. Uh, but in Kenya, we have, I think, moved further now. Uh, we are, for example, you find our own coalition, which is called the, the Coalition for Reforms and Democracy, CORD. 
uh, it is um, a coalition of um, like-minded political parties uh, which does not look at the uh, eth ethnic background of the, 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 the members. But these are political parties which have come together because there are certain things that they share in common. And uh, they are propelling a reform agenda. But we are fighting against a coalition which has been basically brought together but brought together two communities saying that which have been fighting and which have now say, supposedly um, uh, compromised uh, and united uh, to uh, gain political power. So in that kind of situation there's very little ideology uh, or, uh, that is involved. And we think that this is likely to to polarize the, 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 the political environment. Okay, we're taking calls on 0891 Just um, a, as we wrap up, 0891 Professor Lodge, uh, governments of national unity, uh, we've seen quite a few of those, and uh, some have even thought it to be a manipulation of uh, uh, democratic principles or the political process. Is it something of concern? Should there be a rethinking of political systems? No, look, governments of national unity are normally set up for a specific purpose um, and, and normally have a kind of limited term. Uh, and they're, 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 they're created usually in settings which are in crisis. So, so that, for example, you had a government of national unity after the 94 elections in South Africa because it was terribly important at that juncture that everybody... Uh, that the cross-section of the population, um, uh, uh, I, I mean, uh, across all different groups, had confidence in the government. And putting all the parties, or the major parties, into government was one way of winning that confidence. Um, governments of national unity, in effect, in both Kenya and in, in, in Zimbabwe, uh, had a peacemaking function. And they performed that function quite well. I mean, as a consequence of the... Um, coalition administrations in, 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 in Kenya and, and in Zimbabwe um, over the last few years. Uh, conflict was alleviated. It didn't disappear, but it was managed more effectively. The relationship between adversaries became more civil. So they performed that function well, and that's probably a rather more important function in a crisis situation than honoring a whole list of democratic principles. But they're probably not a very good idea as a permanent arrangement. Okay, 0891 104208, 0891 104208. And uh, just to wrap up, I, I wonder then, uh, Mr. Sainz, just looking at um, Africa as a whole, in terms of what has been described as a cabinet coalitions, is that something that Africa should be looking at? Improving is is that where the future lies, perhaps? Uh, I think I think there is a need for us to look into it, especially if it will foster uh, development and also the need to bridge this ethnicity gap and religious gap, which has actually come, which is manifesting itself in a hydra-headed 
way. It's an hydra-headed monster. So I think it's it's the future. And and the cabinet system, like he has said, has proven to be actually much more successful in most climb. And mm. it even brings. I think it's it's a way of actually um, bringing the challenges, experience, all these challenges, lack of ideology, party system, whatever. It reinforces it. So I think it's actually a way. Mr. Odin, would you agree with that? Well, um, to a certain extent, yes. But uh, I think uh, I want to talk, look at the, 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 the two systems, the contrast, the parliamentary versus the presidential systems uh, in Africa. Um, I, I do think that um, a parliamentary system is more um, um, uh, viable in a multi-ethnic society, which we have in Africa, than a presidential system. Because presidential systems, um, the, the elections become ethnic competitions, uh, and they actually more divisive uh, among the people along ethnic line. Parliamentary systems are more accountable, because the executive uh, is in, in, in parliament, and, and can be asked questions uh, in parliament, and they respond. Whereas the presidential systems, you've got this separation of powers, where the, the executive is outside the uh, parliament and cannot therefore be held accountable. Uh, Kenyans are now learning, actually, allegedly, the, the, the real differences between the parliamentary and presidential system which has come into existence after these last elections. Mm. That you now have, for example, technocrats as ministers, and you have also got permanent secretaries who are also technocrats. Uh, now, these technocrats cannot come to, to Parliament. They only come to appear before a parliamentary committee. So they are not completely quite accessible. The President and his deputy also are not members of Parliament. Unlike in the past, when I was a Prime Minister, I, used, I would go to Parliament every week and answer questions of the members of, of, of Parliament. So, um, presidential systems may work in... A, in uh, special circumstances like United States, which is a continent, probably works in Nigeria, but you see that most modern democracies, Britain, Germany, France, in uh, Scandinavia, Japan, Australia, India, are all parliamentary systems. So we think that it is important now that this debate is started within the African continent. Because mm -hmm. only African countries, which are emerging from single-party dictatorships, are the ones which have adopted these presidential systems. Mm -hmm. I mean, substituting the, the big man syndrome, Monsieur le Président, with now supposedly Mr. President who is elected, and don't think that is working well for the African Unfortunately, we have run out of time. Uh, <laughs> Professor Tom Lodge, perhaps in 30 seconds, if I could ask you, should there be also a greater debate about that issue of separation of part, uh, powers, understanding uh, the difference between a governing party, a ruling party, and the state? Yes, I think there should, but it's another issue that we'll have to talk about on another time. <laughs> I do realize I gave you a very short time to answer that. But thank you very much to all of you. Uh, that is Mr. Raylo Dinger, former Prime Minister of Kenya, Professor Tom Lodge, Professor of Politics at the University of Limerick in Ireland, Idaat Hassan, Team Leader for Democratic Governance at the Democratic and Development uh, 
in Western Africa Institute. Thanks to the team in Johannesburg and here in Santana. We do apologize for not being able to read your SMSs, taking your calls or um, any more of uh, the tweets that you sent. Unfortunately, we are experiencing some technical challenges between the two studios. But thank you very much. Up next is uh, Morning Talk with Rowena Bird. The news at 9 o'clock, read by Fabakshini Chetty. Good day.